Welcome to Booked. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Welcome to part two of our Wrong Kind of Reading series. That's right. And in this episode, we bring you exclusively, uh, all by himself, David James Keaton reading his story, Tap, 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 which is an excerpt from a novella that is, uh, we don't really know, do we? The book that it's appearing in. Now, he didn't say the name of the novella, but he said it's appearing in drive-in fiction is going to be the name of the collection that it's going to be in. There we go. Uh, David James Keaton, for those of you who don't know, uh, is the author of ZB&B, which we reviewed in an earlier episode. I believe it was episode 18. We then had him on for an interview, and uh, we've had a few interactions with him, and, and every time it's just a blast. That guy is just a really fun and entertaining guy. Yeah, like, we like him so much that so we gave this whole episode to him. That and the other um, six authors asked that they not be included in the same show. So that's <laughs> the other reason. So check out Tap, Tap, Tap. It's a really, really entertaining story having to do with uh, porn and drive-in movie theaters and stuff. It's it's a, uh, it's a Dave, well, all I can say is it's a David James Keaton story. So enjoy Tap, Tap, Tap. The first, first. Jed actually intros us. He actually talks about us a little bit at the oh. beginning of this one. So, yeah. Right. There it so, is. Yeah. So, better late than never, Jed, but it's cool. It's cool. <laughs> we were just happy you were here. So. <laughs> all right. I'm kidding. All right. All right. All right. All right. Sorry for interrupting. I just want to make sure people knew Jed was talking about us. Um, and uh, without further ado, here's David James Keaton with Tap, Tap, Tap. I would be remiss if I did not mention that uh, we have. Livius Nedden and Rob Olson from Chicago from the Booked Podcast recording everything tonight. Um, So, careful what you say. This works for me uh, and Seth. But Seth's not up next. Next up, we have... David James Keaton, whose crime fiction has appeared or is forthcoming in Needle, Beat to a Pulp, Crime Factory, Pulp Modern, and Thug Lit, among others. He's also appeared in the horror anthologies such as Dead Core, The Death Panel, and Dark Highlands. The, de- the Death Panel story is like the cop killingest thing since I see it's, it's it's pig porn, man. It's all right. Um, his contribution to Plots with Gun number ten was named the Notable Story of 2010 by Story South's Million Writers Award, and he's also the co-founder and editor in chief of Flywheel Magazine. His new zombie thing, ZBNB, ZBNB, is available on Amazon and Barnes Noble, and right fucking here. It's the last goddamn word on the subject. David James Keaton. <laughs> this worked so much better last time we did this. It'll work. Sweet. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to be reading from uh, an excerpt from my novella. Uh, tap, tap, tap is the name of it. I'm thinking I'm going to try the sound effects 
Maybe when I get the taps in the story, there's a lot of taps in it. But it's from uh, an upcoming uh, collection called Drive-In Fiction by um, Alex Cizak and Uncle B Productions. The theme is like crazy 50s and between 50s and 80s slasher drive-in type grindhouse movies. So um, anyway, it's loosely based on a drive-in in my hometown where they they stopped showing regular movies and started showing pornography when they were running out of money. So in the distance, we would actually see porn on drive-in screens like through the trees. So there's a lot going on in it, but this is just basically about the director of some pornographic films. So here we go. <clears throat> Around him, Larry's cast mingled, impatient but still groggy from partying the night before. All four of them with their bathrobes open but still over their shoulders, the same robes they'd stolen from their last shoot at the Ritz-Carlton. The robes always cracked him up and made Larry feel like a cult leader until the robes came off. Then the tattoos ruined his fantasy. He hated the tattoos. Nothing against tattoos is a concept, it's just that they were a distraction and they fucked up his movies. There seemed to be so many of them all of a sudden. How could you believe what you're seeing on the screen was real, and by real he meant fiction, if monsters, signatures, and smiling faces inked all over the body shook you right out of the illusion? In real movies, a bit of a tattoo peeking out of a collar or a shirt sleeve, it was a little dose of character, like a bit of mileage or free characterization, like a chickenpox scar on somebody's forehead. It could be incorporated into the story fairly easily. But in porn, an entire body was visible. Places, they dropped their robes, and possibly it was worse than Larry remembered. Four robes dropped together with a gentle thud of snow off a rooftop, and he opened his eyes one after the other. It was the moment he always dreaded before the shoot. Larry had worked with all these actors, and he could have sworn their tattoos were multiplying every 24 hours, like lesions, more like an angry friction rash. There was no other explanation. In the 70s, you, you'd never see a tattoo staining your film unless you... We're using a couple of sailors on leave in your plot, and even then it would just be a faded green lizard or a little semper fi on the shoulder. But other than these exceptions, tattoos usually signaled prison to the viewer, which was tough on anyone's concentration. But no one seemed to show the slightest concern. Larry was starting to think that the movie Tattoo with Kinski and that Bond girl, whatever her name was, might be to blame. Or maybe it was all those Z's on Fletcher Christian's neck and the bounty or death written on the toes of the Knight Rider in Mad Max, Fenix's proud eagle across his chest in the brutal Santa Sangra, or maybe it was Harry, the story of love and hate Powell's knuckles in Night of the Hunter. Maybe it was Snake Plissken's cobra in Escape from New York. Maybe it was that leering devil on Lee Umstetter's groin in Weeds. Maybe it was that little fucker from Fantasy Island. <laughs> Whatever it was, these tattoos had something to do with this line of work. Maybe that's what happens on a movie set like this. When you fuck so much without offspring, you wonder, eyes crawling from body to body, rather than fertilize an egg, you just hatch a chopper-riding Grim Reaper on your pectoral muscle instead. <laughs> He'd been slightly prepared for the ink today because he already knew he was going to deal with head breakfast, or HB as they call it. So named because of the Denny Grand Slam breakfast inked, atop the inked across the top of his bald cranium. Hey, what could you do? The motherfucker loved breakfast. His real name was Freddy, but how could you call him that when he had a goddamn eggs over easy sausage links and a side of, side of flapjacks forever staining his dome? And don't bother asking him about it, as Larry did more than once. He had no explanation of, except 
that he, honest to God, loved breakfast like no one has before or since. <laughs> People would say, hey, remember that book, The Man Who Loved Women? Yeah, the movie with Burt Reynolds? Well, switch the word women with breakfast. <laughs> but it was easily covered up with a scully cap and forgotten. Had breakfast was something else entirely. He was an anomaly. Larry could not believe he was the only one who found it unusual that every single performer in these films was sporting a veritable roadmap of bullshit across its tan, sinewy hide. Indecipherable Chinese characters and cartoon characters, lightning bolts and Frankenstein bolts, lower back sunrises and sunsets, gift wrap bow above the ass crack, tombstone or two on the hip bones, Virgin Mary on a motorcycle, of course, even an ashtray right above the left cheek, because Christ knows that joke never gets old, even if she does. A weapon, any weapon, to cover the L5-S1 rupture scars that ran down their tailbones. There were more bad backs than warehouse workers in this business, and Larry never understood why workman's comp didn't cover it. There were gold porn stars everywhere, like grade school stickers. And without fail, the old standby, a tribute to some dead family member who may not have said it out loud, but certainly was relieved in the afterlife after their last wish to be immortalized as an angry rash of cherry blossoms next to their niece's vulva had been granted. <laughs> How the fuck was no one else seeing this? But it all might have been ignored if it wasn't for the names. Not the porn names. Those were all suitably ridiculous. The tired joke among <laughs> civilians is that your porn name is the name of your first pet plus the name of the street you grew up on. Wrong. More than a decade ago, back in the 70s, that might have been true. Now, it's much simpler. At least for the men, it's a name that sounds like genitals, and then whatever rhymes with that. <laughs> so, Freddy Frigg, forever known as the head breakfast, was a good example. Of course, the Frigg part being particularly unusual because this was represented, or this represented only getting the third base. <laughs> But the other kid, Italian, Greek, or some shit, broken English falling all over this movie like dead leaves, likely just another example of the ridiculous surge of Middle Eastern men in porn, probably satisfied to be paid in chickens and track suits. He just went with the name Joe Fuck. That name did make him smile. Larry thought, okay, either something was lost in translation or he got lazy. He was a pain in the ass on top of this, sometimes a little too rough and thinking it was cute. Joe Fuck should be in Grenada, not in porn, was the most common reaction from the neighborhood adult vendor. And I don't mean the car either. But he was always, without fail, asking the girls in the scenes with him, Are you coming again? Are you coming already? Always with that horrible, distracting accent. Are you coming again? And they were never close to begin with. Maybe if Joe loved women as much as, say, Freddie loved breakfast, then maybe he'd have a chance at getting this done. But sadly, working in the porn industry with the females consistently blurring the line between real and fake orgasms for the sake of the scene, while the men had no disconnect from this at all. It made fuckwits such as him the worst sexual partners in history. Coins flying everywhere when they dropped their pants too fast. But they were pros at doing what he needed them to do and when he needed them to do it. Few things were as frustrating as tight close-ups and angles when a money shot threatened but never came, and then there was the crescendo but no orgasm, it was as traumatizing as a lost sneeze. It reminded Larry of when Journey's Love and Touch and Squeezing came on the radio with no City of the Angels afterwards. When they split up those two Zeppelin songs off Fizzle the Graffiti. Actually, that was worse. 
But aliases were expected. It was the real names his performers had written on their bodies that were the problem. And today he feared the word that every today he feared the word that every director thought was their best friend. And when he said this word, it hung out there in the air between him and his lens, taunting him so bad he almost tried to pull it back in with his teeth. Action! Fifteen minutes later, Larry was punching one of his actors in the ear, blood flowing freely from his own split lip. He was realizing quickly that you never pick a fight with a naked man. Naked people fight harder. And, they're, and if they're hard to boot, they're damn near invincible. He remembered something one of his gym teachers always said when they played shirts versus skins in basketball. It had something to do with being vulnerable. Skins always wins, the coach said. He was right. The confusion of bodies in basketball made stripping down necessary, but Larry always wondered why someone didn't try it in other sports. Skins in baseball with all those cleats and bats, it would guarantee victory, right? What the fuck is going on here? It was Stevie, the other producer, the one who signed Larry's checks. Joe Fuck had Larry pinned under one knee, rabbit punching him in the forehead, fire engine red cock and balls nodding in enthusiasm with every shot. Stevie broke him up, dragging Joe outside of the pool to cool off and sending head breakfast over to Susie to keep him up at least a half-mast. She was pulling double duty as the fluffer this week for the promise of an extra hundred bucks and two tickets to Gustavo Dudamel. I pronounced that right. Sweet. Larry sat Indian legged on the floor, head pounding like a drum circle, a ridge of knuckle marks rising between his eyes like bread dough. Larry, what happened? He wanted to explain to Stevie that he just lost it. He wanted to tell him that he'd been setting up a shot that focused on the chest hair of head breakfast, rare for a porn set with bodies so often waxed and oily, like little sausage casings. In fact, it was his uncontrollable pelt that pegged him as just two or three gigs away from a regular Jurassic cock slot. But Larry had gotten lost looking through his lens at that hirsute motherfucker, thinking about commitment, thinking about his ex-wife, thinking about how he should get a shot of Susie running her fingers through that gnarly shit with her engagement ring until they both got caught. But instead he told him about the tattoos. What tattoos, Larry? You're kidding, right? We've been through this before. There aren't any... Listen, I have, I have to have some control over the reality of this film. I know, I know. Come on. I know what you're talking about, Larry. You need a suspension of disbelief, right? You mean a willful suspension. What? Everybody always fucks that up. A willful suspension of disbelief. And truth's sufficient. It's a big difference. What's a big difference? A willful suspension. Hey, can I get a willful suspension of my balls? A pleading voice called out without an ounce of sarcasm. <laughs> Suddenly, Larry's angry itch was back. He was scratching and scratching so hard that his fingernails started creasing the fabric of his shirt into his skin like he was tucking a sheet under a mattress. Heart like a hummingbird, he rolled up a cuff and stared at the trench as he dug into his arms and the stains spreading on his clothes. This happened every day, but the stains were the wrong color. He moved to the tungsten lamps to get a closer look. Underneath his sleeve was not so much a ruin of red blood and skin as he expected, but instead a strange blue jelly seeping from his pores, surrounded by angry red hives like a zen garden on each side of a river. You can't be around them that long or you'll catch something, his ex-wife's voice sang in his head. Bullshit. Sure, they fucked up their backs a lot. And this AIDS thing was hovering like a thunderhead, especially after that one dude in the industry was diagnosed. But as far as other STDs, as far as anyone catching anything, it was unheard of these days. Larry was convinced that they'd long since fucked themselves immune. <laughs> Truth's sufficient, Stevie, he shouted. 
It's because these people are actually fucking. That's what's confusing everyone. They should fake it for the sake of the story. Just get it done, man, Stevie said as he answered his giant phone. Damon, the producer's voice, jumped out of the speaker and bounced around the room like someone had side-armed a, side-armed a tennis ball into the phone booth. The sound guy actually ducked. And that's about the time when Susie laughed and a head breakfast testicle popped out of her mouth a little too fast. She doubled over in pain and ran for the fridge before anybody had to say it. Get this guy some breakfast. No, get him some ice. Or put a vibrator on it. Larry thought about vibrators in the Virgin Mary, as he often did. Yes, Mary's silhouette was exactly like those bunny rabbit vibrators. There was no denying it. In his business, Larry had seen some crazy dildos before. Hello Kitty, Strawberry Shortcake, Cthulhu, Mickey Mouse, Minnie Mouse, chainsaws, revolvers, coffins, even one molded after the Pope, big pointy hat and all. But he'd never seen a Virgin Mary vibrator before, and it was a shame too, because built to the right dimensions, those clasped hands locked forever in prayer were positioned perfectly for clitoral stimulation. Larry had gotten drunk a few nights back and le left his car at the neighborhood bar to hoof it three blocks back home. And on the way, he saw her growing in the distance, all noble and proud and stone-faced, head down in reverence. He couldn't help picking up his pace until he was in a dead run. Then before he could talk his buzz out of it, he lowered his shoulder to grab and uproot the Virgin Mary statue from the yard on his way by. Tucking her under one arm, he circled the baseball diamond at the park across the street, finally screwing her back into the wet earth, right under that umbrella of pink flowers where she grew with a gentle first date, kind of kiss on the stone gray apple of her cheek. He'd always shown Stone Mary the utmost respect, even that night. Any other drunk fuck would have smashed her ass in the street like a, Hall uh, Hall a ha Halloween pumpkin, but not Larry. He was a professional, and professional until the end, Larry made the mistake of trying one more time to finish this film. Joe Fuck was all business after the apology, though. Like most of the young bucks, no fluffer necessary, no crew turning their backs for a second, no sweet talking, just sprawling like a toddler's arm finally finding the sleeve in a snowmobile suit. But punks like him were so into the scene. That... You guys gotta listen to this part. This is the whole, this is the whole thing. Punks like him were so into the scene that they never got into the scene. Larry called this the ultimate paradox of pornography. It was a way of thinking that few could grasp, and it was directly opposite of one of the typical acting methods he would see bandied about his set by Hollywood wannabes, a tendency more common than the with the girls than the boys. The boys usually left their delusions at the door. In fact, any mention of the Stanislavski system around Larry would mean a pink slip in that actress's hand by the end of the day. In fact, Larry used an actual pink slip in place of any written notes of termination, and it did little to soften the blow. He bought them in bulk. He looked Joe up and down like Wiley e. Coyote, mapping out the meat on the Roadrunner. He had a new tattoo. Smack dab in the middle of his washboard abs and the railroad tracks drawn over them, a bit to the right of the angry rash where his bush used to be, and screamed, I love Fiona. Unbelievable, Larry thought. Roxy and Susie, his actresses, sure weren't Fiona. And neither were the characters. Larry began to lose his mind watching Joe fucking Susie with the declaration of I love Fiona inflating faster and larger with each wheezing breath. He couldn't think of a worse distraction in the film. Until he saw Susie's tattoo across her lower back, of course. Sammy, it said to anybody listening. Has anybody seen Sammy? Larry couldn't take it. Cut! 
Susie stood up fast, ejecting Joe like a sprung diving board. What did you call me, she yelled. What? <laughs> no, I said, cut. <laughs> Susie was standing so close to Larry, he could smell the heat coming off of her. He stood there glaring, barefoot tapping against his shoe impatiently. Listen, Susie, Larry said, as soothing as he could muster. With this Sammy thing, we got, at the very least, a continuity error in this film. What? Her eyes were darting around looking for Coke. Who? The names, your real names, the character names. You got names, names, and now you got names on your body. What the fuck? Who the fuck are you supposed to be? What are you talking about, she yelled. Foot tap, tap, tapping, loud as gunshots. It didn't work as well as I thought. <laughs> Burning daylight, man, Stevie yelled. So they started filming again, and Joe started his tired-ass routine all over. Rang, ramming himself down her throat as far as he could go, making her gag, popping it out and making her gag every goddamn time. Which drove Larry nuts. Then came a part of his act that drove Larry up the fucking wall. Joe pushed the head of his cock against the inside of her cheek and tapped it with his knuckles. Larry had no idea what this was supposed to prove, and he couldn't imagine anybody wanting to see it happen, let it alone trying it. It was sort of his trademark. He knocked on her face harder and harder. The echo was like mortar fire in his, Larry's head. You feel that? You feel that? You coming already? Larry felt it all right. Then even more explicable than usual, Joe Fuck asked the girl under him in his broken English, you're coming again, are you? Are you coming already? Then he smacked her in the face. Choke yourself, he whispered. And she did. They always did. Larry shouted, listen, I think we should quit calling me that, Susie yelled, still drooling. Can I stop for a second and head breakfast wine from the other room, wiping the sweat from the eggs on his brow? He was on double duty, moving furniture around, tricky when you're naked. I'm hungry, he pleaded. Of course you are, these three people laughed. Right then, Joe started to lose his erection and jammed it back in Susie's mouth, pushing out her cheek again. Tap, 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 you feel that? Tap, tap, tap. You're coming already? It was bad timing, really. Larry snapped, 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 and before he knew what he was doing, he had a forearm under Joe's throat and was throwing him back over a crackling, plastic-covered sofa. Hey, Susie yelled. Shut up, cunt! Larry screamed at her. Who's this Sammy? Why do you have Sammy on your fucking back? Where is Sammy? What does he think about all of this? It was amazing. Susie answered as calmly as she did. My name is Sammy. My real name. Larry stopped for a second, then turned all his attention to Joe. He caught him a hard shot to the nose, the one thing he learned from Virgin Mary's grandson that morning, sending a starfish of black blood across his cheeks. How did you know that, Susie was still asking. How did you know my real name? But Joe hit him in the back about five times before anybody could celebrate, so Larry fell back on what he knew. Skins always win, his gym teacher told him, but not today. He grabbed Joe by his erection, catching it before it could turtle back into his body for safety. No one believed it later, but he actually picked him up with it, held him up off the ground like one of those retractable tape measures you could unleash to see how long it could hover and hover before it finally collapsed. There was enough blood to bend it, bend it, bend it until... Snap. It turned out an erection broke just like any limb, only it turned three colors first, even more colors after. Joe passed out from the shock, but not before Larry straddled him to wrap the top of his head like the rotten fucking coconut it was with a tap, 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 tap. You feel that, Larry said? You feel that? Are you coming already? <laughs> Just as everyone was tackling him, Larry dealt a dozen savage elbows. <laughs> oh. 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 
Joe. Poor Joe. Are you coming already? Larry dealt a dozen savage elbows like playing cards. Behind him, he smelled the wet earth exhale of someone else lined up over his shoulder for the perfect shot. He delivered his last elbow so dead on with the, that the satisfaction read, rang through his bones like the sweet spot of an aluminum bat. But behind him was poor, poor head breakfast, who had caught that shot, and he didn't deserve such a betrayal. He stood up slow to stare at Larry as tiny trickles of red yolk covered the eggs over easy, now transformed into eggs Benedict, of course, pinballing through the stubble on his skull like the pen chico, finally filling the corners of his eyes until he blinked. Hours later, Larry escaped to his car, still trying to find a station on his AM radio, and he settled on a dead stretch between the static where he thought he heard a voice. He heard the voices here before on that stretch of highway where you sometimes saw giants moving in the woods. He had no idea that this was the night that the drive-in was debuting, piping the sound through the dead air on your radio dial so they could save money on the speakers that hung on your windows like dinner at a car hop. If he had known this, it would have saved about 80 lives. He turned up the volume so he could have a conversation. Okay, once again, that was David James Keaton reading Tap, Tap, Tap. Uh, Livius, how'd you like that story? I love that story. That guy is so goddamn funny. Um, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Um, that that breakfast head tattoo, he actually showed us a picture of who that's based <laughs> on. That there was a guy with breakfast tattooed on his head. It's unbelievable. Yeah, and um, so after the reading, everybody kind of hung out, and we were talking and everything, and I was telling him all the you know things that I thought were really amusing. And I also told him that there was I was looking forward to the fact that we had it recorded because there were some things that I thought were so clever in there um, that I, I was excited that I could go back and hear it again. Um, and that kind of sparked off a thing from him where, where he was, um, he, he said that he, he was expecting laughter in certain parts of the story and stuff. And, and they all came in different parts than what he was expecting. So I don't know if he was disappointed or just, you know, I don't know, but it was interesting to hear what he didn't think would get laughs and what he did think would. All I know is that I laughed in all the right parts the second time around, David. Just so you know. <laughs> We're going to cut in our laughter at the points just to make David uh, feel appreciated. And if uh, you didn't get enough David James Keaton just yet, there is uh, more to come um, when we do our uh, Shindig and Chi-Town reading series in the next, oh, I don't know, a week or so. So if, uh, if you like DJK as much as we do, make sure you tune back in for that. Yeah, because not only does he read, but he verbally abuses many people. You know, it's it's awesome. It's just fantastic. And I'm hoping it comes over in the recording as well as it did in person. Yeah, definitely. So thanks again to David James Keaton for such an entertaining story. And uh, everybody should check back for parts three and four of our Wrong Kind of Reading series. Yep. Next up will be Anthony Neal Smith and Kyle Miner. Those, I don't want to give away too much, but those were great stories too. Yeah, I'll tell you what, you don't want to miss the, the Neil Smith the Neil Smith reading that we're going to put up next. Definitely want to hear this. That's right. So uh, if you haven't already, head over to facebook.com slash booked podcast, click like, and you will know immediately when the next episode goes up so you can go over and check it out right away. You can also 
subscribe to us on iTunes or grab Stitcher and make us one of your favorites on Stitcher. And that way you'll have the most up-to-date episodes as soon as they're posted. Until next time, I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.